Well, it's good to see everybody out here. These are always my, uh, some of my favorite services, being out on the lawn. If you'd open up your Bibles back to uh, the Gospel of John, while I get set up here to make sure nothing blows away. Well, this morning, uh, we're, as I said, we're starting John. This is an ex- I'm, uh, just a great Gospel. Really excited to uh, dig into it. And uh, the starting here, verses 1 to 18, that we're covering this morning, is a prologue for, for the whole book. A prologue uh, is, is a, uh, it's kind of a sampler. It, uh, it has all, it's kind of jam-packed with the, uh, the themes and, and the images that are, are then drawn out through the rest of the book. And to weave this material together, uh, John has kind of chosen this poetic writing style. In fact, if, if you have an NASB or a New English Bible, the, it's, it's written, it's actually uh, put, it, put in those kind of poetic lines, poetic verse. And the depth and the style here can be a bit hard for us as modern readers. We're not quite used to it, but it would resonate well with the Hellenistic culture of John's day. In fact, um, two of the most popular Greek works of history, the, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, begin with well-crafted prologues. So John was kind of ahead of his time in doing this. So I, what I, I'm, I'm saying all this so that we understand that as we read it this morning, if you feel a little bit confused and you don't quite understand all of it, you're not supposed to. It's something that you reread as you go, and you'll get more and more understanding. You reread it as you read the rest of the book. That'd be a good habit as we're studying this. And so you can kind of get a hold of it. So, having said that, I'm going to try to preach the whole of 1, 1 to 18, which means we'll be skimming the surface, but we want to see the main idea. So look at verse, uh, verses 1 through 5 with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now what we have here, kind of as our first point, is a very tantalizing summary of kind of cosmic history. Uh, I've said before when I've talked about this, this is a bit like the beginning of the movie Star Wars where those words come at an angle across the screen with you know, outer space behind them, and it says, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then there's a bit of a summary of the cosmic struggle that brings you to the present. John starts with kind of a similar cosmic overview. Our minds can't quite grasp eternity, so he goes as far back as, we could go, as you can kind of go and just says, in the beginning... And then he says, God was. He just was. And then he moves through all of creation and life and light and mankind to the present in four sentences. And I want us to notice a couple of things about these sentences that we kind of know well. We're kind of used to hearing them as as Christians, but they're actually quite startling. They would really have grabbed the ears of a Jew and, and, and the Greeks as well. And the first thing that's, that's really tantalizing and startling here is that he said, God was and is word. 
The last part of verse 1 says, the word was God. And in the Greek, word is, is actually the Greek word logos. John is, is, is clearly saying that God himself is inherently what we would say logic. It's not a warm, fuzzy term. It's not real personal. It's the general Greek term for thought and, and reason. It's very platonic sounding, right? In fact, it was used in philosophical circles of the day to refer to the guiding principles of the universe, the creative energy that runs it all, the great mind in the sky. So you can imagine the favorable hearing that John would be getting with the, the Greek listeners at this point. He's sort, of, uh, he's sort of coming in under the radar, right? He starts off talking about God as, as the, the Logos, not doesn't mention Yahweh, doesn't say Jesus. He's saying, let me tell you about this God, the Logos, the great mind behind it all. But then the question is, at least it was my question, why do we translate it word? Why don't we just translate it logic? Wouldn't that be clearer? Well, simple answer for that. And that is that the word Logos can and often was used verbally. Like when someone says, you know, that, that we, they reasoned with you or with us, right? And they're saying that it's, it's logic expressed. And for the Jews, this was true of God. He wasn't just logic, he was logic expressed in creation through his law he had spoken through his prophets. So John is saying God is logic, but more than that, he's, he's the logic that is expressed, made known. It's actually pretty startling, pretty amazing. That would be especially to a Greek ear. Secondly, here's the second startling thing here. God has a plurality about him. This divine logical self-expression is not only God, but he's with God. It's the Greek word pros, like prostrate, like in front of. The word who is God is in front of, face to face with God. It's this personal relational idea. This logos is a relational being in his very essence. And finally, notice the last kind of amazing thing. He is creator of everything. That's verse 3 and 4. In him was, uh, at verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's an interesting verse for the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, right? Jesus can't be a created being. The Word can't be a created being. He created everything, anything that was made. can't create himself. He gave us life and light. So you see how this, this description, this start, this cosmic over is actually so tantalizing and exciting and hopeful. If our creator God is logic expressed towards us, and if his very nature is relational, and he's the one who created us in his image, as relational beings like him, then it stands to reason that we can know him. That we as human beings should be able to know our creator. To know our God in a real and, and personal way. It's an exciting prospect. This wasn't the assumption of many of the kind of creation stories and religions of the day, the Babylonian Numaelish and the Egyptian sun gods. No. 
It's only scripture that gives us such hope about God, that God can be known if we seek him with our, with our logos, with our minds, with our souls. We should be able to reach him, to relate to him in some way. We should be able to speak with him and he with us. We can and should know him. This is what all the prayers and rituals and pilgrimages and sacrifices of today's biblically-based religions from, from anything from Islam to, to Judaism to Christianity that use the Bible, this is what they're counting on. The hope of actually knowing God. And note what it says about spirituality and faith, right? Note that this idea about God, what does it say? It means that it's, it's inherently a a cranial exercise, right? It's, it's not something where we turn off our brains and we have faith over here and logic over here. No. This is one. We don't let go of all that to let God. We engage him with our minds. However, let me say this. If we are honest, it doesn't seem to be that easy, does it? Despite the, the nature of God and us as creations having this Logos connection, natural clarity and knowledge of God doesn't seem to just be there, does it? It, it, We don't feel this easy relational access. Intimacy with the divine seems very elusive. People aren't just thinking their way to God, are they? All the religious rituals and prayers and Sacrifices often seem like vain attempts. All our religious activity seems to come up short. And it's interesting because John acknowledges this. Although he starts this way, look how he ends this prologue. Look at verse 18. We'll just read the first part of it. No one has ever seen God. No one, he says, really knows God. No one has seen him face to face that relationship that God has with himself and if we haven't seen him how how can we really know anything for sure about him there is a separation and a distance isn't there that's our human condition we know that we should know God we have an instinct to know him but we can't get there Why? If he's so knowable and so logical and and we're made in his image as these logical beings, why can't we just get there? Well, that's where verse 5 comes in at the end of the little cosmic overview. Did you notice it? Actually start at 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it God's revealing of himself to us his his light of life his spiritual enlightenments has faced a darkness it hasn't come into a neutral world there is a darkness issue a darkness that is trying to overcome the light that word overcome can be translated extinguish or master It's trying to dominate and control light. It won't ultimately, but there is this struggle. 
See, up to this point, God has been sending his revelation in creation and the word. He's been revealing himself. But there's a darkness that's kind of pushing back, not just in the world, but in us. I think uh, the best way uh, to illustrate this is to turn over to chapter 3, verse 19. One of my little favorite, you just have to turn a page in my Bible. Chapter 3, verse 19, describes the, the whole scene. This is just after John three sixteen about Jesus being sent into the world, and it says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Huh. You see that the darkness in our sinful hearts doesn't want to be exposed. We've rebelled against God. We're guilty in our sin, and we want to hide like Adam and Eve in the garden when, when he reveals himself. When I uh, lived in Australia during seminary, uh, one thing we learned about it is it's a beautiful, sunny, enjoyable country with all kinds of bugs that can kill you. And uh, some of the bugs that can't kill you that there's a lot of are cockroaches. And uh, we lived in the city in this kind of three-story terrace building, and my wife would start in the kitchen, had all wood floors, and she would mop her way from the kitchen all the way up the stairs every night and all the way into bed and put the mop right next to the bed to try to make sure the cockroaches didn't come out. It was in vain. But I can remember that I had this little game where I'd get up in the middle of the night to maybe go get a snack or something, and I would go and I would stand at the edge of the kitchen and have a hand on the light switch, and I would turn it on, and I would try to stomp as many cockroaches as I could. Boom, 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 boom. Before they disappeared. That's us, right? Scattering at the exposure of the light, lest we are crushed in judgment. This is the conclusion of the cosmic overview in the first five verses. We have minds to know our Logos God, but we have guilty hearts that resist and prefer the darkness we hide. My friends, this may be the biggest spiritual lesson you learn today if you don't know God. It's not for lack of light. It's not that you don't have enough evidence or information. God has revealed himself in all kinds of ways. And we have the ability built into us to know him, but we hide. We reject him. Your problem is not your mind, it's your sinful, stubborn heart and mind. Our sinful will. So what's the answer? This is, this is, this is where the, the, the camera comes zooming in from this cosmic you know, overview. The words go off the screen and you're zoomed into a scene. You're zoomed into this guy, this figure on a dusty road. Wearing nothing but camels here. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. God has sent a messenger 
to proclaim the true light, that the true light, the full light, the, the genuine light, maybe the halogen, if you will, better than the law and its revealing and, and creation and its light. The word himself, God's self-expression, is coming. And the great thing is, who does he come for? Who does he come to, it says, verse 9? Everyone. Everyone. That would catch the Jews off guard. He's coming for everyone. The light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. This is the answer to the, to the dilemma. How will sinful, darkened humanity ever see God? How will we ever find him? We won't and we can't. He must come to us. And he has. How? Verse 14. And the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. He became a human being. He became one of us. The word is, he he came and dwelt among us. That's the word tabernacled. You see, in the Old Testament, God's, God's glory, his spiritual presence hung out like a cloud over this tent called the tabernacle that the Jews gathered around as they tried to get close to him, but they couldn't get too close. They had to be kept at a distance or they would die because of their dark hearts. And he's a holy God. But now God, in his very essence, has come in the flesh through his Son. And look at what this means. Look at verse 18 again, the last of the text. No one has ever seen God, the only God, or some translations say the only Son, the one who's with the, at the Father's side, has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but the one who's with him, the Word, has made him known. The unseen God is now revealed. He is knowable. Thus all the guessing and speculation and struggle to reach out to the divine is over. He's come. And John describes the disciples' experience of this, of knowing God in Jesus, the word, by saying they saw his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father. When I think of this, I think, oh yeah, they, they, how did they see his glory? And I think, well, you know, he, he turned water to wine. Only God can do that. They, they saw God's glory in that. They saw his, his, God's glory as he, as he healed the sick and dece- diseased. Only God could do that. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, only God can do that. When he calmed the sea and controlled nature, only God could do that. But John makes it clear, as you read through this book, that ultimately they saw it when Jesus was lifted up on the cross. John calls that the hour of his glory, when he is glorified. That's the culmination where he completely shows us the very essence of God. Because in that moment, he took care of the darkness. Not just out there, but the darkness in us, 
In that moment, he took all our sin and rebellion that blocks us from our holy God that keeps us from seeing and knowing him and he paid for it with his pure life. He took all our darkness and all the darkness of the world and he absorbed it in himself. He took our death and our judgment and he brought forgiveness and cleansing so his light can shine into us. And I want us to notice something very important. Look at verse 18 again. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Notice the is. Jesus didn't come to an end at the cross. He was with the Father. And he came down, manifested himself in the flesh with us. And he went to the cross. And now he is with the Father He conquered death. It didn't end at the cross. And he now offers life and light to all. He's risen with the Father. And that's what he's offers. He's opened the way for us all to know God as we come to him. And this changes everything. The word becoming flesh, living with us, dying for us, and then rising to the Father in victory means, first of all, Knowing God is beyond comprehension. Knowing God is beyond comprehension. It's beyond an intellectual exercise. Yes, he gave us minds to know him, and we're supposed to engage them, and he's the great Logos. But if that's all we're about, if that's what we're depending on to know God, our own understanding, our knowledge through study and theological analysis, then we're in deep trouble. I want you to hear this if you're seeking God today. If you're seeking God because you know you don't know him, and so you're seeking him in, in, in study and maybe reading and, and religious activity, keep doing all that, but know this, it's not enough. And I want you to hear this if you're pretty sure that you do know God today because you've known all about him all your life. Maybe you go up going to a Christian school and you know everything. Maybe you learned a lot about him at church. Maybe you know all the Bible stories. You can quote all the verses. That's all good stuff. But it's not enough. Don't fool yourself. Knowing God about God intellectually is not necessarily knowing him at all. I grew up... Uh, during the 70s, and one of my kind of TV or movie icons was Clint Eastwood. I've seen all his movies. I know all about him. Read lots of articles, books about him. Can quote movies, lines from him. I've been to his hometown. I don't know him. Don't know him at all. Never met him. He wouldn't recognize me on the street. The Bible says that someday when we all meet, Jesus. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord. Sure, they know him. But he's going to reply, I have no idea who you are. Never met you. Our dark hearts are in the way. We cannot get, get near God just with knowledge. Knowing God is beyond comprehension of him. Secondly, this tells us 
God coming in the flesh tells us knowing God is beyond religion. It's not about all the religious activities that we try to do to placate him and gain access to his favor, where where we're trying to, to move this way from ourselves to him through prayers and good deeds and rituals and traditions. Every religion has them, those, those works, those pilgrimages, those sacrifices to break through to God. It's religions today that are still practicing human sacrifice to try to get there. Those things don't solve the darkness problem of our heart. In fact, many of them are because of it. No, he has come this way. He has broken down, broken through to us. He's conquered the darkness and shined in, revealing himself, bringing life and salvation. God's son, Jesus, becoming flesh, dwelling with us and dying for us means knowing God is about one thing. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, the ones that had all the knowledge. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's simply about receiving Jesus receiving his son who he sent believing in his name which is a way of saying receiving him for who he is the word become flesh the son of God the risen savior he offers himself as a gift and all you can do is receive This is why it says in verse 16, did you notice this part? And from him, from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. First we have the law, which was a grace. Revealing the nature of God and revealing how we fall short. And only condemning us. But then we have the next grace, Jesus who brings life and light and salvation. Grace upon grace. He's the gracious gift. Have you received him? Accepted him? Accepted his name? Accepted him as your God and Savior? You see, when you do, verse 12 says that you become children of God. That's knowing God. That's beyond an intellectual thing. That's becoming part of his family, relational, real knowledge. The Bible says it's not complicated. Receive the word become flesh, Jesus, his son. I'm going to pray now, and you can do that if you haven't. You can know God today can pray this with me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for revealing God. Thank you for revealing yourself. 
for conquering the darkness of my sinful heart by giving your divine life for me so that I may know light and life, real life. I want to be your child. I ask for your forgiveness and your life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Amen.